let's uh, get into the Word this morning, but begin so by uh, asking uh, a, a couple questions that probably all of us have had some level of experience um, um, answering, and it is this. What makes a child a child? What makes a child a child? What would you say to that question? What are the characteristics of a child? Selfish. Selfish? Okay. <laughs> no, they just hide it better. Or we hide it better. Just, uh, my age. Age, yes. Okay. Certainly. Okay. Wonder. Understanding. Understanding. They drop a lot of food on the floor. They drop a lot of food on the floor. And sometimes they're messy. Jason? Yeah, there's a level of innocence, so they're understanding. Okay, yeah. Of What's that? Asking lots of questions. Asking lots of questions because they don't have a lot of knowledge, right? Exactly. Yeah. Were you going to say something? Well, I was going to say it's like a, a book being written. Yeah. And it hasn't been written yet. Yeah. And yeah. it's all new. Yeah. And it's being built up. Right. And what you fill it with yeah. for a lifetime is an important thing. And yeah. you, become, you get out of that childhood, um, that innocence is dropped away. Greater accountability, isn't there? Yeah. Dennis? A desire to experience life. Okay, desire to experience life. Uh, Don said a new, they're like a, a new book being written. Anything else? What when we say, when we say someone is childish, what would we mean by that? Why would we say they're immature? What are some characteristics of that? No self-control. Okay, a little self-control, right? Build, a lack of ability to say. To say no, that should grow over time, right? But generally, that's that's like if I if I put a, a bag of chocolates on the dinner table and you know, mom, whatever mom made as a good healthy meal, I can tell you what the kids are going to take, right? They're gonna they're gonna eat the eat the sweet stuff. Um, what are the characteristics then of a mature adult? A mature adult, just generally. Okay. Thinking of others, putting others first. What else? Would you say that person is a mature adult? Or an adult now? Uh, what would you say, Dennis? No, uh, settled in Okay, a certain settledness. Yeah. You guys are giving such spiritual answers, huh? I'm, 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 I'm even just wondering about just normal things a doctor would say, right? To use your example, they would be chocolate. Okay. <laughs> they would be, they, they would, they would, uh, well, some of us would uh, choose the uh, choose the dinner over the chocolate. Right. All right. Anything else? Realize that they still have a lot to learn. Okay. They understand that though they know a lot of things, they're still got a lot to learn. Yeah. Irresponsible. Responsibility, Jason. They, their body more or less stopped growing. Yeah, their body has stopped growing. Right? Okay. There's a certain point, unless something's wrong with your hormones, right? That you reach a level of height. Growth, right? And you grow in other ways, on a variety of levels. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's some. Now, what would you say if you saw an adult and you said that adult's acting like a child? You saw a very large disparity between maturity and immaturity. What would some of those things be? And you can feel free to repeat some of the answers you've already given them all the child. <laughs> I was going to say television where everything's about them and they 
focuses on themselves. Yes. Tunnel vision. Yeah, just only seeing themselves and their needs, right? What else? Say someone's acting childish. That's an adult. Grown, full grown adult, physically, but. They think they know it all. Okay. You're an arrogance. An arrogance. Yeah. Doesn't play well with others. <laughs> Lorraine? What's that? Immaturity when they're driving. Immaturity when they're driving, yeah. Okay. All right, now you're now you're uh, stepping on toes here. Yes, Donovan? Temper tantrums? Yeah, temper tantrums. Lack of control and anger. Yeah. Good all all good answers here. Alright, let's go to Ephesians 4. See what the Word of God says about this in spiritual maturity. I'd like to begin in chapter three, verse fourteen. For Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about the purposes of the church and what God has done to make a church. Household of God. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, <clears throat> endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we hereafter be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. Don't be a baby. Ever said those words? Sometimes those words can hurt. Well, imagine a little boy in school who's whimpering about someone being mean to him just for the 
fact that he would like attention and the teacher would just come to his rescue and suddenly he realizes when one of his classmates says that to him, don't be a baby, that he looks a little silly. How much sillier he would look if if uh, he would he, 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 he thought he needed uh, somebody to come and protect him if he was capable of doing that himself. In other words, there's no point in behaving like a baby if you aren't one, right? But think of how cruel it would be to say to a real baby only a few months old, don't be a baby. Okay? Supposing that, that that child could understand, oh, that would be a real injustice in that command. Stop being who you are, right? There's no point in behaving like a baby if you aren't one, but there is a point in behaving like a baby if you are one. And that's what Paul wants these young Christians to understand. A baby can't help being a baby, but a baby still needs to continue to grow up, right? He wants to be able to tell them not to be babies and that they will have to grow up. Some aspects of Christian maturity take a lifetime, right? But there are many things in Christian in the Christian walk here that you can reach maturity in. Not perfection, but maturity in. There are ways in which once someone has come to believe Jesus as the risen Lord and discover the reality of his presence in their lives and power in their lives, maturity can follow in leaps and bounds. And Paul shows how that happens in Ephesians chapter 4. God's, what God's given to the church to make it happen and, and why it matters. <clears throat> it matters, as we read these verses here, because... Without maturity, Christians are very vulnerable to all kinds of trickery that would take them a long way from where they ought to be. If you look at verse 14 even, um, Paul brings together three ideas. He talks about babies, a boat tossed in about on a stormy sea, and these cunning tricksters, and it's a word picture of gamblers with loaded dice. It's a bit hard to picture them all together. They're kind of mixed metaphors here. Um, but we can see what he's driving at. And if we know today's world, we're going to see that <coughs> today's Christians can be just as vulnerable as now as they were then when Paul wrote this. See, the world is full of people who are, who, are, who are out to make money off of you. To catch you when you're emotionally fragile or when you're excited and pray in your emotions. To recruit you for a particular uh, kind of teaching. And Paul's world was full of those people in Ephesus, just as ours is. We should be anxious about that by looking into the Word of God and seeing, okay, how can that bring calm to our soul, stability, a stillness, as one mentioned. And the best picture here that Paul gives is that the church may be, without this maturity, a small boat on the open sea, without rudder, and helpless against winds and waves. But look what he says in verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is the objective. And so this morning, to finish out this short series here on body life, here we're at number five here, the healthy body, the healthy body. How to grow together. How to grow together. There's three things here that I see from this passage. The first is to grow together. How to grow together. We need to strengthen our service. Strengthen our service. Look what Paul says in verse 12. He gave these uh, gifts in verse 11 for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying 
of the body of Christ. Look at verse 16 then. So the book ends here, this section here. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted or held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the effective working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the edifying the building up of itself in love. Strengthen our service. Strengthen our service. So verse 12, when he says, for the perfecting of the saints, uh, here, for the work of the ministry, uh, for the edifying of the body of Christ, he strings together, if you were in English class years ago, these are prepositional phrases. He strings together three prepositional phrases, and they kind of build on one another. Um, the first one shows the, the, the immediate purpose, and the second and the third one show the goal of what's to happen here. There's a progression here. And the idea, this progression here, is that God gave people and gifts to the church for the immediate purpose of equipping all believers with the goal of preparing them for the work of ministry. That word ministry is simply the word and the idea of service. It's where we get the idea, the word deacon, diakonos. It's service of any kind, which in turn has a final goal of building up the body of Jesus Christ. Wearsby says, gifted leaders are supposed to equip the saints unto the work of the ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ, as a literal translation. The saints do not call a pastor and pay him to do the work. They call him and follow his leadership as he, through the word, equips them to do the job. 2 Timothy 3, 13-17. The members of the church grow as they feed on the word and minister to each other. The first evidence... <clears throat> Well, spiritual growth is Christ-likeness. <clears throat> that word translated in this particular translation, in verse 12, perfecting is the word equipping. And it's used in a few places in the Bible. It has a range of meanings. One place it's used is in the Gospels. When the early disciples were at their fishing boats, and they were mending their nets. They were, they were, they were mending what was lacking here, with, with some, uh, how the nets had torn. It could also be used in Greek literature of a doctor setting a broken bone and so that it heals. But the idea probably more um, uh, along the lines here of the meaning of this passage here is the idea of, of preparation, training process here. The idea of, of, uh, of being prepared to do something. Being prepared to do something. And notice what he says in verse 12, that do something is. The saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Um, there's, there's a goal here with the word and the example that comes is, is to serve others to build up the body. You saw that later on in verse 16 when he brings it all to a head here. Um, because here's the thing. You and I can grow to a certain level, to a certain level on our own. By being in the Word of God and in prayer, right? But we are limited in our growth without the body of Jesus Christ. We need other people speaking into our lives. You're demonstrating that here this morning by coming and listening to a sermon from the Word of God, right? Um, <clears throat> of course, I'm not the only person who's capable of doing that. There are other people in this room who are capable of teaching you the Word of God. But there are also other ways, informal ways, that we can speak the Word of God into each other's lives and challenge uh, to help us grow. So the, 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 to, to, to grow together, Paul's first telling us that we need to strengthen our service. Be prepared for service. Because if all you do is just hear, 
the Word of God and don't do it and apply it and pour into each other's lives and the, and the lost world as well, you'll be like the Dead Sea, right? It just gets more and more salty. It's just what happens. But we need each other. Now imagine um, that uh, you desired a spiritual growth, but it was going to be separate from a church body. You know what happened. And Matt, have you ever um, seen anybody with enormous swelling on a particular limb of their body? Maybe something's not happening right in their circulatory system. And a, 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 an appendage of their body has uh, swelling. Um, maybe you got stung by a bee. And you got like one eye that's just like puffed out. The other one's okay here. Imagine if, if a, a, a church, right, which is, which is represented in 1 Corinthians 12 as the body of Christ... But imagine if there was a leg or an arm that grew to an enormous size, and the rest of it was much smaller. Or imagine your mouth being stretched wider than it should be, right? Uh, or afflicted with, we would say something's wrong, like that, that leg there is so big, is there, is there a harmful tumor? And the idea of spiritual growth is this. That as we grow in the Word of God, God desires certainly to use it in our own lives, but He desires it to be reproduced in the lives of others. And so, if we if we are to uh, if we are to grow, we are to grow not only for God's glory and for our own good, but also for the sake of others. Someone said, "Let us all be whatever we are for others." This is, this is accomplished in this passage here by love, which would express itself in service to one another, setting yourself aside for service, growing, the building up the body of the church. But there's a second point, he says, here in Ephesians 4. Look at verses 13 through 15. We're to strengthen our serving as we take things that are taught, as we take the, the word of God that is, that is poured into us and we apply it and we use it to serve one another as we understand God's purposes for our lives. The second thing, though, is that God does not leave us without an objective, a goal. And so we are to meet our objective. We are to continue until we are mature, complete, perfect in Christ. Which means this is a lifelong thing, doesn't it? Look what he says in verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, mature, complete, the word is heliox. It's the idea of coming to a completed goal. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we hereafter be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of teaching, doctrine by the slight or the trickery of men, and cunning craftiness, cleverness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ. Meet our objectives to continue until we are, we're, we're mature together in Christ. You remember Peter Pan? What's the point of Peter Pan? Why did they go to Neverland? What's, what's unique about Neverland? They never grow up. They never grow up, right? Um, they're decades old and they're still having child romps and adventures, right? And like Peter Pan... <clears throat> We can have fears or reservations about growing up because growing up isn't easy, right? Because it means taking more responsibility. You hear this phrase here about how adulting is so hard. And that's the point, right? 
Adult life is easy because there's responsibilities here. And people can have fears or reservations about growing up. Fortunately, most of us kind of get over that, right? There's a, there's a bizarre, tragic ex- exception here, and I can't even pronounce it. It's some kind of phobia, but it's the fear of growing up. The fear of growing up. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an article um, in one of the psychiatry journals that describes a case about a 14-year-old boy who tried hard not to grow up. And here was <coughs> what the, um, the, his, his psychiatrist noted. He does not eat much. Because according to his own research, food contains nutrients needed for physical development. In addition, he adopted a stooped posture to hide his height and began to distort his voice using lower volume and higher pitch than usual. If people tell him that he is taller or older, he becomes extremely upset and cries. Due to the restriction in food intake, he has a weight loss of more than 12 kilograms. He's currently in the 25 percentile. So they began to treat him and counsel him and they saw some improvement but they added this. The patient continues to express a fear of commitment and responsibilities that he feels will be required of him in adult life. When we look at a story like that we say that's ridiculous, right? There's something wrong in his thinking that needs to be corrected. And yet as believers we can do the very same thing. We can be comfortable where we're at spiritually and not willing to take the next step of following Jesus because it's hard and he's calling us to do uncomfortable things. Right. And, if, and there's a physical example of somebody, right? But imagine here, somebody who, 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 is, who knows that, oh, I don't want to read that in my Bible or hear that because I know that's what God's telling me to do, this particular command, whatever it might be. Whatever the Holy Spirit's convicting them about. And so they limit their, their, their obedience to it. And, and, they, and you look at them, and they are they're, they're ch- they're children. They're infants. They're infants. But that's not God's goal, is it? The goal here is to meet his objective, to continue until we're mature in Christ. Now notice what he says in verse 13. <coughs> till we all come in the unity of, notice it says, the faith. The faith. I'm uh, doing some study on some on, on uh, sound doctrine, and one thing I noticed when the apostles and the church leaders ministered to people and they planted churches, they taught them a, a, a distinct body of truth that they passed on to them, and they set an example of them, like in First Thessalonians, of how they labored among them and lived among them, and uh, and uh, and then they expected them. Can you believe this? They expected them to continue in that doctrine when they left. To obey it. To put it into practice. And, and, and they insisted on it. When Paul writes letters to Timothy, he says, insist on these things that I've passed to you for, this, for the church. Here. And so there was a faith. There was a, there was a, a deposit here of truth. And uh, that, was, that was delivered to the early churches. And you, when, we, when you put together the New Testament... Uh, you kind of see that it's kind of broken down into a couple things. What God has done for us. A proclamation of what God has done for us. The good news of the gospel. And then, how we are to live in light of that. This is how you see the letters laid out, don't you, in the New Testament. For example, the gospel <coughs> from the apostles, over and over when you read the sermons and what's written in the letters here, 
And they speak of how the gospel was something that was, was prophesied beforehand in the scriptures, a part of God's plan to bless the families of the earth through the seed of Abraham and then of David and so on, right? And God brought it to the, the, the peoples of this earth here through a new covenant, promised forgiveness of sins, to be saved from the wrath of God and God's judgment. And those who believe put God's spirit within man. And this good news was fulfilled in who? Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the seed of David, the King of Kings, born conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of woman who came in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. He died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the gospel that was proclaimed. And Jesus will come again one day to judge the earth and set up his kingdom. And he'll reign after that forever and ever. And those who hear this message and believe will receive forgiveness of sins. See, relationship with God, born into God's family, be adopted as a son, be given the Spirit of God as a pledge of their future inheritance as they wait for the Savior to return for them. That was a body of truth, a unity of the faith that we're all to come to. But not only that, then each believer was instructed after that to what? To lay aside his old life, to be renewed. Renew his mind and the word of God and the teaching could form this new life to the will of God. God's at the, at the, the commander now. And that there would be a, 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 a set of, of, of fruit of the spirit. Virtues. That would be only possible through God's resources, not man's. That, and that's to characterize us here as being people of the spirit. And then our homes, our homes are to be ordered after God's design here, consistent here. And, 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 and the church, the pillar and ground of the truth, is to be ordered according to the sound doctrine received from the apostles. And each believer has to be committed to do his part in one another ministry and using the, his gifts to build the church and to win the lost. And there's to be relationships with the church that are to be characterized by love and respect and pursuing unity in the bond of peace through this truth. And then we're going to have a, a relationship to the world that's going to be defined in a certain way here. Um, <coughs> respect for government and employers and, and, and other authorities and, and love and good deeds toward uh, our neighbors and those in need and the sharing of the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ. And that we as individuals are to lead sober and responsible lives, working hard, providing for our own, making most of the time, being alert for Satan and his strategies in our lives. That was, that was a body of truth that was delivered here. And Paul says we're to grow in maturity in that and come to a, a unity in the faith. But then he noticed what else he says. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. That word knowledge there is the idea of heart knowledge. Heart knowledge. And he doesn't say a knowledge of Jesus. He uses a title for Jesus. Knowledge uh, uh, here of, of the Son of God. The Son of God. Paul had... Is made manifest his greatness and glory, the one who is the ascender and descender, who fills all things. Our oneness is centered in him. 
And there is a Christ-likeness that is to come out of this. So, we are to certainly grow and strengthen our service, but we're also to meet our objective to continue until the maturity of, uh, that we reach in Jesus Christ. Now, how does this happen? How does this happen? What's the pathway for this? And look what he says in verse 15. In contrast to verse 14, here's verse 15. But, speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. So the pathway here happens as we are engaging, and we talked about last week in these one another's of speaking the truth in love. Wearsby writes this, Speaking the truth in love is not the best rendering of his expression, for the Greek verb makes no reference to our speech. Literally, it means truthing in love. It includes the notions of maintaining, living, and doing the truth. Okay, so it's certainly the body, the, the, the truth that we've been delivered, that has been delivered to us, and it's living our lives in alignment with that. Like he says in 4.1, walking worthy of this calling, this truth that we're called into here. And he writes this, Wearsby writes this. Thank God that there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, and the light of battle enters their eye. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. Others make the opposite mistake. They're determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love, but in order to do so are unprepared, are prepared even to sacrifice the central truths of revelation. Both these tendencies are unbalanced and unbiblical. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. The Apostle calls us to hold the two together, which should not be difficult for spiritual believers since the Holy Spirit is himself the spirit of truth and his first root is love. There is no other root than this to a fully mature Christian unity. So this sword slices both ways, doesn't it? Truthing and love. Now, how does this happen? Look in chapter 4, verse 20 to 24. When he says, speaking the truth in love, what is this truth? <clears throat> Verse 20, you have not so learned Christ, the way of the unbeliever, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The evidence here and this pathway of, of, of maturity here is through cooperation together. Cooperation together and speaking the truth in love. Truthing in love here. If we're members here of this particular local body, we belong to each other. You don't belong to yourself. You never did when you came to Jesus. He bought you. He made you, so he's your creator, and he bought you with his blood. You don't own yourself. You're not your own. And each believer, no matter how insignificant they may appear, has a ministry. We've talked about this when we looked at the gifts here. 
has a way that God has given you to be a blessing to the church, to build up the church. And so the body grows as the other individual members grow, and they grow as they feed on the Word, and they minister to each other, Paul says in Ephesians 4. Notice the emphasis again on, on love. Here, speak the truth in love, speak the truth in love, and then look at the last words of verse 16, the building of itself in love, and let me re- remind you of chapter uh, 4 and verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. In love. So love's like your like the bloodline, circulatory system in your body. You know what happened if you didn't have your circulatory system, right? Um, it's been discovered that uh, in some of the orphanages, particularly in Eastern Europe, they notice that isolated, unloved babies do not grow properly. They're especially susceptible to disease and a variety of other things, psychologically, not to mention physically. While babies who were loved and even held, handled, grow much more normally in our stronger. And so if you're going to isolate yourself from other Christians here, and you can do that, even being in a big room like this, right? But you're not connecting and ministering, finding your way to minister to others, whether that's a quiet way or a loud way. <laughs> We're all different, right? Um, you will not develop properly. And the church will not develop properly. And it is impossible for the gifts that God has given you to be ministered in another way. That's how it is. That's why you need these things. And so when we look at this passage here, we draw the conclusion here. Every believer, 4, 7 through 10, is given a gift according to the measure of Christ. Which, follow the progression here, which enables each believer to minister, to serve one another toward the goal of edifying the body of Christ. And all this growth is done in this context here of love, which is not Valentine's Day. Love is setting myself aside for the good of others. That's, that's love in the Bible understanding of it. And so the, the, the past animosity that, that, that uh, exists between people before the cross, like the Jew and Gentile, Ephesians 2 says, can no longer exist now because... In Christ, both are reconciled to each other because they're reconciled to the Lord. And that makes it possible for them to utilize their gifts to build up one another and in turn build up the whole body, the church. And that's Paul's vision, the Spirit's vision, God's vision for his church. To display it, a love, a unity, a diversity, and a truth, and a growing maturity. Thus the characteristics of chapter 4 1, a life worthy of the calling to which God has called us, that he beseeches, that he begs us to lead. And the more we immerse ourselves in these truths and understand this perspective here of the scriptures, we're going to be discontent with the status quo, aren't we? Some of us are too rigid. Because we're too comfortable. We're too complacent. Too ready to just keep present situation without a living vision here of growth. It could be like a dead corpse in rigor mortis. I feel like that today, riding bikes all over Acadia. It's like, I feel like rigor mortis set in here. And then the opposite can be true. Others can be too careless. 
wanting to dispense with this thing that God has put at the center of his universe, the local church here. And instead, we need to grasp more clearly the kind of new life God wants his church to be from his word. So that means that um, whenever we're going to be content with things always as the way they are. It's just like, it's how it is. And we're never going to be totally content with just a partial solution, slapping a patch on something. This is an inner renewal here he's talking about. It begins on the inside and works its way out with all of us. And so we pray and we work for this for this uh, process here, this renovation process that God is doing in His in His church to be a, a truly caring community, marked by humility and meekness and long suffering and forbearance and love. And that it begins in verse 2, and it ends in verse 16, in love. Setting myself aside for the good of others. And so the question is, how are you as an individual going to do your part? And press into the way that God has designed and gifted and made you to be a blessing with that gift to the church. What are ways we can grow in the Spirit's vision of this church here in Ephesians 4? That's not to condemn anything that has led up to today. It's to say, how can we continue to grow, right? Continue to build and grow. God wants us to rejoice in the things we've seen in the past and to look ahead, right? Look ahead here. What are some practical things we can begin to implement together to help us take the next spiritual step in Christ? Uh, by the bulletins when you came in this morning, there's a green sheet of paper here. <coughs> on one side of it had your song, and the other side of it had some questions here. Uh, last year, I challenged you, or excuse me, last week, challenged you to um, look through the phone directory and to see who are the people uh, from your local church represented in your local area here. And perhaps uh, to set up a day where you can invite them over or you can somehow figure out some way to get together. Maybe share your salvation testimonies or have one person share their salvation testimonies uh, to share people that the Lord has burdened on your heart to pray for you see that come to the Lord and then brainstorm and think of ways that you can uh, bless them and, and, uh, and uh, continue to build bridges to them. Well, on this sheet here are some discussion questions. And what I encourage you to do to begin a very simple, limited application here, what we're talking about in Ephesians 4, is get together with some other people here in the body, body of Christ, and take 20 minutes here to discuss some of these questions here. What are the qualities that all saints should have according to this passage? What are the areas or things you feel you most need to grow in? Pray for those things. Discuss ways your group could encourage each other to grow in these areas. Stop and pray for growth and maturing in each of the people in the group and the ways God's convicted about this morning. Which two of the lists here of uh, qualities here of saints do you think we as a body are the most mature in? What two do you feel we have the least mature in? Pray and praise God for the ways he has grown our body. Pray for growth and maturity in specific areas we feel we need to grow in or weaker. 
one of the Greek philosophers said, an unexamined life isn't worth living, right? The Christian life is like that, isn't it? We're always examining, right? That's the Holy Spirit's job. To continue to move and shape us and shape us and shape us. And we, if we ever get content where we are with the Lord, then we're missing his vision of pressing on onto the prize, right? Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. Not as though I have already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything you be otherwise minded, shall reveal even this. That's what God wants us to have as a mindset. Together. Because look what he says in verse 16. Did you notice in Ephesians 4.16 that he talks about joints and the idea of ligaments here? What did joints and ligaments do in your body? They enable you to move, right? Have movement here. And that's the idea of continual progress, continual movement here. So I wonder, um, this morning here, as we <coughs> finish up uh, my portion here, or if any of you have any other insights of what are ways we can we can together grow into the Spirit's vision here of the church in Ephesians 4. Even some practical things we can implement uh, together to help us take the next spiritual step in Christ. Anybody have any any uh, insights or ideas or things that uh, would help us accomplish here what God desires to do? Yes, sir. Uh, 